Listen up, bowlers. Are you looking to gain the mental edge over your competition? Do you ever need that extra burst of all-natural energy during league play? MindFrame is the first all-natural supplement packed with vitamins and all-natural ingredients to keep bowlers at the top of their game. Supports muscle recovery and joint support for the day after that long tournament. You cannot continue to neglect your most important tool, your body, if you want to win. Experience the striking power of MindFrame. Visit S3Direct.com. That's S3Direct.com. Above180.com, taking your bowling game to the next level. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews and coaching to drilling layouts. Now, from Washington, D.C. and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. In his first partial year on tour in 2008-2009, Jason Belmonte became the first two-handed bowler to win a PBA Tour event by capturing the Bowling Foundation Long Island Classic, which helped him win Rookie of the Year. Jason has four other top 15 finishes, including a 10th place in the PBA World Championship and averaged 219.2, which put him 14th among exempt tour players. And Jason has seven career PBA 300 games. Jason want to talk to you about something that happened last week on the tour that everyone saw, and we actually spoke to Brad Angelo regarding uh, the Dick Weber Open and the incident with the bottle. Uh, I know it's behind us, and Brad has said that he, uh, well, let's, let's hear what Brad says. We have about a 30-second clip that I want to hit play. We talked to Brad Angelo last week about this, and I just want to get your reaction to what he said and then just ask one question. Have you comment on it, all right? No problem. Well, and yeah, let let me say that to defend Jason, even before he comes on the air, that that Jason has has always been um, extremely nice and extremely respectful. Um, so I, I I guess I still have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, it, it happened, and you know, sometimes you don't cry over spilled milk, but uh, you know, deep down, I, I wish it didn't didn't happen at all, you know, then we wouldn't have to have this conversation, but uh, Jason and I are friends, and, and I'll be rooting for him, um, you know, through the rest of his career. Well, there you have it. You heard it from, from Brad's mouth. So, Jason, just take this moment to tell the Above180.com listeners just your thoughts and, and moving forward, uh, how things are between you and Brad. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think uh, he basically summed that up pretty well. Brad and I, we we had the um, the chance to talk directly after the match, and he was uh, extremely kind because um, when it happened, I obviously felt pretty pretty bad, and uh, I had to play another match after that particular uh, round with Brad and Dino. So I, I was uh, not really mentally prepared to go into the next fight. Uh, feeling the way I was, and he was uh, so awesome. He he called me, and he we met in the paddock, and we talked about it, and um, it, just such a really really nice guy. Because uh, he didn't have to do that. He could have just left the bowling center and left uh, left me feeling pretty miserable about it. But we talked it through, and I explained to him exactly what happened, and um, I told him how how awful I felt, and he he said he uh, he let the emotions go a little wild on TV and he apologized for that and we shook hands, gave each other a hug and that was it and then all of a sudden uh, kind of got blown out of proportion um, online and uh, you know since then I've felt even worse for, for Brad because I've read 
some of the things that people say and it's just so horrible because none of them really know who the guy is and they're quite willing to uh, write very negative remarks about him and I just felt really, really bad for, for Brad. Well, that's a great response, Jason. Uh, this is Joe Serrar here. Uh, welcome to the show. Cheers, Joe. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, your, your reply as well as Brad's kind of gives us a life's lesson to learn that sometimes the best you know, way to solve problems is through communication. I, I wish some of the world's leaders would, would listen to our show and realize, you know, it's not always about fighting and, and, you know, hatred and jealousy and greed, but just communication with one another because, you know, deep down, people are good people. They're good-hearted, and, and I've had the pleasure of meeting you. I've had the pleasure of, of some lunches with Brad, and, and you're both very genuine, very real, very honest people, and a pleasure to know you. Oh, we appreciate that, we do. And I think I just want to make it very clear that, you know, Brad wears his heart on his sleeve. And uh, I know there, because I've actually got a few emails from people saying, you know, that was really unfair of Brad to blow you off when you try to apologize. And my, my response to that was, look, we're, we're bowling for a potential $50,000. And, you know, we only get 10 shots on TV. And if I happen to put someone off and that's how they uh, respond to it just by pure emotion. I'm not going to hold that against somebody because that's how they feel. I mean, he has his way to express what he feels and that's what it was. And um, like I said, directly after the, the match, I told him how accidental it was. And I've seen the video and some of the comments that people make are so uh, pretty unfair, but I just wanted to clear, clarify that. We, we bowled with uh, three on a pair that game, and we were told that we had very little time. So as soon as the ball was let go by the opponent, we were to get ready. So at that particular time, I think I'd opened, and I just wanted to take a sip before I had to get up and throw a ball. So I held the bottle in my hand and didn't unscrew it until the ball was halfway down the lane. But the bottle popped in my hand, and it only popped like once. The, the previous the time, I was uns I was actually screwing the bottle top back on, and it made a lot of crinks. And uh, he turned around, and I apologized straight away. But the second time, I uh, I heard it, and I was praying he didn't hear it. And then uh, he called me out, and I went, "Oops, he heard it." And it was completely accidental, and I just felt miserable after that. Right, and we we could see that in your face as well, as well as Brad feeling miserable that it happened. Uh, I wonder if the PBA is going to institute a new rule to where they eliminate, you know, that thin plastic bottle and go to maybe a, a PBA-sponsored cup uh, just to not allow this to happen again. Well, I mean, in the future, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's the plastic bottle that's the issue. I think the issue is making sure that the competitors are aware of other competitors and that what we're doing. And, and look, the thing is, I'm trying not to focus on my opponents while they're trying to bowl because I have a job to do but at the same time you have to be very wary of where they are what they're doing and making sure that you give them the best opportunity to throw their best shot and on that particular frame I didn't do that so that's something that I'm obviously going to be very aware of in the future because uh, you know I don't think you should eliminate plastic bottles from TV because of this instance I think it's just a, a little wake-up call for for me in particular but all the players to be very aware of our competitors and when they're about to throw a shot. 
Jason Belmonte joining us on the Above180.com podcast. Want to switch gears. Uh, last summer, you, DeAndres Beatty, and Ron Hoppy were doing the International Art of Bowling, where you guys are going around and doing different clinics. One of the things that we like to do on Above180.com is help that bowler achieve their next goal, whether that be the 160 average, get to the 180, 180 to the 200, and so on. What is one of the things when you were doing these clinics that you really noticed and really think that our bowlers need to focus on these days to get to that next level? Um, yeah, I can't believe it's almost been a year since we started this thing. It's gone so quickly. Um, I, the first question we usually ask our, uh, our students is, you know, what, what do you want to learn? What do you, do you think? Because everybody has an idea about what they're not good at and what they are good at. So we always want to make sure that we address their concerns because we never want anyone leaving thinking, oh, I, I, I went there to understand this part of it. I didn't ask that question. They didn't ask me. We never got around to it. So for me, I, I like to just make sure that everybody's concerns are taken care of. And then we as a team, the IAB team, we basically cover everything from, you know, before the foul line, after the foul line, what's going through your head, what goes into your mouth uh, when you're getting ready to, uh, to compete. Um, you know, we have specialists come in to talk about exercises and the right foods to eat and... We are a very light-hearted bunch of people, so it's usually very entertaining and a lot of fun and very informative, I think. Right, and, and you're three distinctly different people in Deandra, Ron Hoppy, and yourself. Uh, what exactly is each person's goal or, let's say, focus in, in the clinics? Um, yeah, we are kind of three legs of a tripod there where we feel like each one of us has a specialty, and uh, Ron's specialty is um, well, he, he founded Ipsia. So he knows so much about ball drilling, about ball fit, uh, making sure that everybody understands how to look after their equipment. So he really focuses on that side of it. Deandra has gone through all the college coaching, Team USA coaching, and has a, an extreme amount of knowledge about the fundamentals of bowling. And... Uh, Without the fundamentals, you know, you don't uh, throw the ball uh, in a, a very repetitive way. And so she basically explains everybody, you know, keep it simple and this is the things that you need to do there. And then I'm uh, usually after the foul line, um, like to show people what their ball is doing as it hits the lane, goes through the pins and what all that means. So between us all, we kind of try and hit all the bases. But then uh, at the end of uh, the second day of our, our classes, basically we all get thrown in together and we just work on everything with everyone. There's really uh, no specialty work at the very end, which is really cool because you get to kind of ask specific coaches any question you want. Excellent, Jason. And those are going to be continuing throughout the year, correct? You, you, I know you said it's been a year they've been going on. Do you have any more of those planned for us in the future as, as we move towards summer? We have lots going on. Um, if you do get a chance, go to internationalartofbowling.com. It has uh, all our tour dates. I think our next one is actually um, in Omaha. Um, I believe it's April 30th, because uh, May 1st. Then we go to Panama, Dayton, Lake Wales, Detroit, Colorado Springs, uh, Fort Worth, Cedar Rapids, lots of places, and uh, that. That list of tour dates is um, 
going to add very quickly once we get a few more contracts signed and we'll add them to the website and hopefully anyone in the area is interested in learning uh, from three, I would say, nice people and uh, good coaches. We're more than, more than happy to help anyone from all ages and all averages. Excellent, and we will add that website on Above180.com as well so you'll be able to get right to Jason's, uh, the IAB website to us to make sure you don't miss one of these coaching clinics if they are in your area. Jason, want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the PBA season, which is wrapping up. Uh, tell me, I guess, first off, your impressions and your thoughts on how things went. This year was set up a little bit different where you did all the tournaments in Vegas, and then they kind of sprinkle them out uh, for the TV folks like me watching at home. Uh, so just talk about your impressions and, and really then – how you felt you performed this season? Um, yeah, look, we had the World Series of Bowling start off the, the tour this year, and, and I thought it was really successful the first year they did it. Um, and I thought it grew and was even more successful this year. Um, you know, there's obviously always holes in big ideas like this, and each year I feel like um, the PBA are filling in those holes and making it a better event, and I have no, no doubts... Um, that the next World Series that they do is going to be even better. Um, uh, you know, staying for that long in Vegas can be uh, a little mentally draining. Um, that city requires sleep, and it's hard to get sleep in that city. But um, I, I felt like my season from the World Series, except for the very first two events, uh, which, am I allowed to say suck? Because I sucked. Um, but apart from those two events, I had a really uh, strong season. Um, I think I ended up finishing fourth in the points, um, which I was really happy about because, you know, this was my second full year on tour, and to bowl against these guys who have been doing it for, some of these guys have been doing it for almost 30 years, um, to be able to keep up and, and be competitive in, in most of the tournaments that I'm competing in, I was really proud of myself. Uh, Jason, I have a question for you regarding Storm. Uh, we all know your relationship with Storm uh, in the last few years. Can you kind of give us a little history into the beginning or how it all came about? Right, yeah. Um, I think it was in 2001 uh, when I first signed my very first uh, Storm contract. And uh, I'm pretty sure if I hadn't have signed with Storm that day, I don't know where I would be as a bowler. Um, today, there. It's not just about the equipment. Um, with me, obviously, I, I'm. I want to throw the best equipment out there, and I think I am. But Storm have always treated me a little bit more than just a player. Um, you know, I'm very close with Bill Chrisman, um, the owner, and Dave Sims, and Hank Boomershine, and all these guys uh, who talk to me like a mate, and that's really important for me. And uh, Dave, Dave Sims, actually, and I just had a chat the other night, and he used a really good phrase. He said, I consider you um, family. And that, that really meant a lot to me because we, we trust, well, I trust in, in their equipment. They entrusted me to represent their company as best as I can. And I think it's like family. You know, you're going to do the best you possibly can to represent your family. And, and I don't know what to say. I'm just I'm so grateful that, that Bill took me in, and it all started because Tim Mack um, first saw me throw a ball in Australia and said, we've got to get you on staff. So i better give uh, Timmy a little shout-out and say thank you very much, Tim. So, you know, speaking of family, and, and I, we all know the importance of family in the world, um, is there any or do you sense any animosity sometimes between some of the uh, 
other storm contract players such as you know pete or or norm uh and that there's special treatment for one over another or or do they all understand their their role or or they're all important uh, look, I, I don't have a, a problem with any of our staff players. I have uh, a really good friendship with all of them, and I've learned a lot from every single one of them. Um, you know, I've travelled with Pete um, overseas a lot, uh, touring Japan, and just been able to talk with that guy about, you know, the history and how he kind of became Pete Weber. And, you know, and it's, it's pretty insightful when you talk to these people outside of a bowling centre and get to know who they are. Um, you know, Ryan Schaefer might be probably the most honest person I've ever met. So it's really nice to be able to go up to these guys, ask their opinions, ask their advice, and uh, and get a really honest answer. So I don't think so. I don't think there's any animosity between us all. But then again, I don't know. I haven't asked them if there's animosity between us. I was going to say, traveling overseas with Pete Weber, I, I, I can imagine those those trips have to be very entertaining. You'll be able to write a book when your bowling career is finished, and people are just going to gonna love to hear some of those great stories of, of what, what the knowledge that is from Pete Weber uh, and, and everything that he can tell. want to talk to you also, Storm, you, you mentioned the great company they are. Talk about some of their great pieces that are just coming out. I mean, from the, the Nano to, uh, to everything out there that Storm is producing these days. Yeah, like I said before, I... I've always felt like I've got to be throwing the best equipment out there to beat these uh, other professionals and Storm have some really good gear at the moment. And I'm pretty honest as well. If someone asks me if I like a particular ball, if I didn't like it, I'll tell them that, oh, I didn't think that was such a good ball that we made. Or um, Because, you know, when you do tell the truth and you say that there's a, a really good ball out there, it's going to mean a little more to that person. So lately I've been throwing a lot of the Nano. And at first, I thought the ball was going to be a little too strong for me because of the rev rate, but <clears throat> it's extremely versatile. I've been able to drill a couple and throw them very differently, and the ball looks great going down the lane. And, you know, when that lane kind of burns up a little bit, we've got bowling balls out now like the Victory Road where you can get left and, and really curve the whole lane. And we have every single ball that you can think of to fit pretty much every pattern or breakdown of a pattern um, there is out there. So I'm very fortunate that Storm have uh, have a great development team and and uh, the guys who make the cores are, are pretty clever. So, Jason, do you find that some of Storm's stronger pieces, say like the Marvel or the Nano, are easier to control sometimes off the friction areas compared to, say, a tropical heat which has a much easier skid portion, but a much quicker or stronger response off dry. Oh, exactly. And that's something that I had to learn the hard way coming out on tour. Um, when you bowl around the world, you don't see the lane conditions that the PBA have. So you, uh, I, I came out there and I like to use a lot of low-end equipment, shine it up and just throw it as hard as I could and rev it as much as I can. And you find out very quickly that 150 on the fresh is a very bad game. So you uh, you learn to throw the higher end stuff, back your rev rate down, straighten up a little bit, and kind of let the ball do the work. And like you said, the Marvel and the Nano allow me to do that. And and do you have a favorite layout uh, since your rev rate is uh, north of 600? I know Chris Schlemmer is your guy, but, but does he talk to you about certain layouts such as why the pin is six inches from the PAP and below the fingers, why this ball is six inches above? 
I mean, do you understand that? No, that's something that I, I'm learning in and now. I really feel like a part of my game that is, is its weakest is the understanding of drillings and the equipment. Um, I've always been the kind of guy, let me throw it a few times, I'll see what it does, and then I'll know when to use it. But when you get to this level and you're bowling against guys like Chris Barnes, who know their equipment back to front, I always feel like I'm giving up too many frames guessing. And uh, I know that Chris isn't always going to be 100% correct, but he's going to hit the nail on the head a lot more times than I am because he knows his equipment. So that's something that Chris and I, Chris Lemmer and I, are, are definitely working on. He's, he'll drill something for me, and the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, okay, what, what does that mean? What does it do? And why did you do it? And then we talk about it, and I'm learning. So, and I've also got a, a really close friend here in Australia who drills my equipment, and um, he's teaching me a lot of stuff as well. Uh, not as complicated as some of the things that Chris is talking about, but, you know, I, I have absolutely no knowledge in this. So all the knowledge that I can get is very helpful, and uh, Jason Brown is the guy's name here. He just uh, is willing to, to teach me what he knows, and I feel like it's going to make me a much more complete bowler. Jason, I want to touch just a, a few minutes on the, your style of bowling with the two-handed bowling. And I know there was a, a big, you know, big ordeal made about it when it first came out, but now we're actually starting to see, see it implemented into some youth programs. And just talk about, I guess, how you got started and then where you see parents and where you see the youth programs going with, with two-handed bowling and, and how long you think it can sustain itself. Well, well, the long story short is uh, my parents built a bowling centre where I live, and uh, the lightest bowling balls we had uh, in 1985 were 10-pound bowling balls. So I was 18 months old when I first rolled my first ball down the land, and obviously I couldn't pick up a 10-pound bowling ball with one hand. So I had to uh, push it down there, and as I was getting older, I developed uh, a two-handed style. And uh, as the years went on, um, you definitely see... Uh, critics come out, and uh, especially when I first came out on tour, I think a lot of people assumed the style was uh, like a novelty act or or not right. But Oscu, uh, myself, Brian Valenta, Cassidy Schwab, um, you know, we, we held our own, and we still do on tour. And I think a lot more people are now open to the idea that it's a it's a possible style. Um, and that's what I've always said. I don't think I throw the ball the right way. But I think it's a different way, and if, if it works for you, then it keeps you in the game a little longer. You know, what's what's wrong with that? I mean, we're in an industry where it's hard to keep bowlers entertained these days. So if, if kids bowling two-handed is, is uh, keeping them in leagues and, and bowling junior tournaments, then I can't ever see why that would be a problem. So, you know, my question, Jason, to you is, I mean, you're relatively young. Uh, you appear to be in good shape. Do you think this style of bowling can stay with you uh, well into your 50s? Yeah, I don't know. If I had a crystal ball and I could look into it, I'd let you know. But, look, I think we all uh, are succumbed to wear and tear. I mean, I'm not going to be in perfect physical condition in my late 50s, I'm sure. But um, I think if you look after yourself, no matter what style you have, you're going to prolong your careers. And uh, I do like to play a lot of sport, and I eat a lot of uh, Italian meals, probably a little too many at times, but I try to eat well, and um, I'm hoping when I'm, when I'm 50, I'm 
still bowling and, and still competitive. And, you know, I can't say that I will be, but I definitely can't say I won't be. Um, I feel great now and I don't have any injuries to speak of now. So um, fingers crossed it stays like that for a long time. Jason, I want to touch on, on a couple personal notes here. Uh, as people know that your, your home is Australia and you have a wife and a daughter. So just briefly touch on some of the, uh, the challenges that, that also go along with being you know, halfway across the world and bowling and, and with your family and everything. And have you ever thought of or, or is it, are you in the process of, of moving to the state? Right, yeah, I think that's probably been the biggest um, adversity I've had to overcome traveling to America. And I think a lot of the people don't quite under, uh, realize how difficult it is for foreign players to spend, uh, or in my case, this particular trip, I spent three months in America. Um, so you really miss your family. You really miss home. You miss the little things. You know, you miss driving on the left side of the road and you miss uh, holding the Australian dollar in your hand. And there's a lot of things that you don't realize you miss until you leave it for a long period of time. And, and obviously the, the biggest things that I've missed has been my family and friends. And like you said, I have a wife and daughter. Um, Aria is uh, 14 and a bit months now. And uh, she's just my absolute world. She is uh, very, it's very hard to, uh, to leave Australia and not be able to give her a hug and a kiss. And I was very fortunate that Kimberly and Aria came with me for the first three weeks of, our, of my tour here. Um, that definitely helped because when they left, it was it was heartbreaking, and I don't know if I would have survived 12 weeks without them because nine weeks was hard enough. But the good things are, is technology has is, is improved, and I get to you know see my wife uh, through Skype, and we can talk, and I can tell her the good, the bad, everything that's happening to me, and she can do the same. So the communication is there. It's just the time zones are a little bit annoying as well, but. Um, you know, that's, that's the sacrifice that foreign players make to come and bowl against the best bowlers in the world on the best tour in the world. And that's something that um, we are always trying to find out better ways to deal with. Right. And, and life is all about juggling your priorities at times. And, you know, I, I can sense in your voice your family is very, very important to you. I'm sure much more so than even the pro tour. Uh, are there any little Belmos in the future, possibly? Well, yeah, Kimberly wants four of them. So uh, I'm going to, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get to four, but uh, we, I definitely would like uh, another few little uh, toddlers uh, running around. They're just, you know, I thought I had a great life, and then Aria came along, and I can't remember life um, before Aria. It's just very surreal now. It just it doesn't matter how you bowl, doesn't matter what kind of day you have when she... Uh, sees you walk to the door and runs up and says, Dad, don't give you a hug. Uh, you know, it's, it just everything melts away and you just realize what's important. Well, I'll tell you, Jason, I've been blessed with, with two lovely daughters myself, uh, both in their 20s, and it gets better every year. I mean, Aria's 14 months now. Once you can really start communicating and having more personal one-on-one contact with them, uh, it's it's better and better all the time. I mean, you, you'll love it, and you'll you'll want to allow her to have a brother or a sister as well. Kind of fill the time when you're not there. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, as she grows, she's obviously becoming a lot more fun. I remember the first few months, she didn't really do anything. She just kind of looked there. She ate. She uh, did what she had to do in her, her nappy, her diaper, and that's all she did. And I remember saying to Kimberly, like, I love this 
person so much and she does nothing except eats, cries and, uh, and, and poos. So I'm like, I, when she starts talking to me, my, that love is just going to like escalate and explode because if I can love something so much and they have no idea who I am, um, you know, when they finally work out who I am, it's just going to be so much more fun and just uh, an absolute joy to watch her grow up. Unless she starts crinkling water bottles when I'm trying to watch TV, and then you know I'm going to have to say a few things to her. Jason, uh, and, and as uh, as you as Joey says, I, I'm just going to elaborate a few more points. I have a six year old son, and we just finished our second year of bumper bowling. And he's left-handed. So I know for a fact that he is going to have all the advantages, me being a right-hander, that I didn't have. So uh, we got a lot of things to look forward to in the Berg household. And, and hopefully you'll have, have a, a son next time. Maybe God will bless you with a son so he can get some of those great bowling genes as well that, that you have. Um, but Jason, we've uh, took what, in- women. Women can't bowl. Oh, women! I, yes, I should be remiss. Women can bowl. You are correct. And and uh, I'm, just, I'm just playing. With I you. know, uh, Jason. It, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, we we hope we hit a lot of issues. And again, if you want to check out our website, we're going to have uh, the IAB uh, link for Jason and Deandra and Ron's coaching uh, clinics that are coming up throughout the year uh, as summer rolls along. It sounds like there's a lot of them. So, uh, Jason, best of luck with those. And please uh, promise us you'll come back again and talk to us. Yeah, mate, no worries. It was honestly my pleasure coming on here. And uh, I appreciate you guys asking the tough questions that you have to ask your listeners. Uh, obviously, they're the, the ones you have to make sure are happy. So anytime you want to give me a call, you know my number, just give me a bell and I'm happy to talk to you. Jason, thank you for coming, and uh, you need to start bundling up, I believe, uh, south of the equator. Uh, isn't winter coming? Yeah, yeah, we are opposites. You guys are coming into your summer, I'm coming into my winter, but um, if there's one good thing about uh, leaving Australia at this particular time of year is I'm, I'm coming over to you guys in May, and it's going to be a little warmer and it's getting colder here, but I'm not sure that quite... Um, is balanced with leaving your family and your country just to make sure you get a little extra sun. But at least it is a positive to go over there. I'm, I'm going to be working with some great people, doing some good things, and I'll have a little extra sun on my face. For Tim Berg, Jason Belmonte, uh, Joe Serrar, good luck and good bowling.